Well, good morning. It's good to be in church, isn't it? Especially when it looks like that outside. Well, it's good to be here. Um, Beef likes, well, Steve, I guess his name is Pastor Steve now, isn't it? Now that he's left our department, he's gone into the adult department. He, he likes stretchy pants. One year we went to Vancouver as a youth team to go to this conference, and Steve wore these pants, really like nice stretchy pants, but they had a Lululemon logo on them. And I'll tell you what, we mocked him for four straight hours and four straight hours back. It was unbelievable. He likes stretchy pants. I love that man. Let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer. Jesus, we invite you into this place. And God, God, we love your word. Jesus, you say that it is it's our guiding light. God, you say that it, it lights our path. You also say that it's living and active. So God, I pray that in this place that your word would be alive. And, and Jesus, we just invite your leadership into our lives. And God, we just pray that this family in this place, God, would be influenced by your Holy Spirit, God, and not by the spirit of the modern age. We love you. Amen. Well, a few years ago on the ark, um, we were speaking about Jesus and the life that he brings, and this 18-year-old boy approached me, and he had some questions, and he said to me, can you honestly tell me that this boy who was born 2,000 years ago is radically going to affect my life today? How does that even make sense? He says, I got to be honest with you, I really want to sleep with girls that aren't my wife. I really want to do drugs. I really want to do all of these things. I really cannot understand how Jesus has any influence on my life today at all. And then we come to Christmas and we share this news of this baby born in a manger and how he brings peace on earth. And it seems to be a bit of a disconnect in our world where I don't even know if we always believe exactly what we are selling in this place. I don't mean this church specifically. I'm talking about the Western church. We don't always back our words up with action. When I look at the original story, it's unbelievable and it's profound. Would you open with me in your Bibles to Matthew 2? We're going to read chapter or verses 1 to 6. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, This is profound what they ask. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. This King Herod was a horrible, horrible man. He was a tyrant. This is the same King Herod. This is Herod the Great. He coined himself the king of the Jews. When his son was born, King Herod Antipas, he said, you will not take the term king of the Jews. That's only for me. He was really possessive of this term. So these magi came and said, who is the new king of the Jews? This would have outraged him. And then when the magi said, his star has guided us, Herod would have been further outraged. He believed that all of the cosmos belonged to him. So now these guys are coming along saying there's a different king of the Jews. He has his own star. Herod would have been upset. And by default, all of Jerusalem would have had to have been upset with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, these essentially were the theologians that knew the Bible. These were guys that King Herod said, whoa, tell me all about the prophecy. And they would have opened up to the book of Micah. And it says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is when Herod loses it. This is when he does anything to stop the birth of this baby. This text is profound on many levels. This text speaks 
of a powerful sovereignty of God. Sovereignty is a term that I think we misunderstand because there's boats called the sovereignty of the sea. Sovereignty essentially means the highest power, the one who determines everything, who has the last say. We call nations sovereign nations because they have the highest power on that soil. But when we're speaking of a God, what we're saying is, if you're sovereign, then you have the last say on everything, absolutely everything. This is our God, a God who has the power to determine the place of the birth of the Messiah, the time. This is a God who has the power to determine the stars in the sky, how they move, how they shift. This is a profound text. This last um, week, we took our interns to Grand Forks, and we went to a really awesome place called the Paul's Ranch. And we went there, and there was these enormous haystacks. These things were very, like, they were huge. They were 700 pounds, um, about the weight of a smart car. And Chris told us, Chris Baxter, our worship leader pursuit, told us the story about what happened to his grandfather. His grandfather was a farmer, and he was stacking these things five high. This would have been from floor to ceiling in this room, about 3,500 pounds. And as he got the last hay bale on the top, he turned his tractor around, and it hit the bottom, and he didn't realize what had happened, and he stepped out of his tractor just in time to look up and to see five stacks of 700-pound bales falling on him. And it was instant death for him in his mind. So he shut his eyes, and when he opened them, he was standing on top of them all. He was 10 feet off the ground. He was in utter amazement. He just started praising Jesus for what had happened. I think sometimes we think that death is just random chance or accident. But in Revelation 1.18, it says that Jesus holds the keys to death. He's the one that holds the keys. We think it's accident or disease. We think it's terrorists or chance. We forget the fact that it is Jesus who is sovereign and he controls everything about our lives and always has and always will. Isaiah 14 says, The Lord of heaven's armies has spoken. Who can change his plans? When his hand is raised, who can stop him? This is the sovereignty of our Father. In Kelowna, we have an epidemic. It's actually in this entire valley. It's this epidemic of anxiety. And a counselor from one of the school districts called me and said, we've noticed there's just been a a horrible, um, this fall especially, there's just been a horrible amount of anxiety and stress level in the kids. She said, have you noticed this? Is this something that you're experiencing as well? Do you have any theories? Our mental health um, facilities in Kelowna are just being overrun with anxiety. It is something that is not only with our youth, but our adults. On our LA trip, I noticed this was becoming an issue, and so We just spent some time and we prayed and I asked kids to just raise their hands if they dealt with anxiety problems. And I don't even know if there was one kid that didn't raise their hands. This is a massive problem in the West. We live in constant worry as though everything is up for grabs. As though it's all random and our God is inactive and distant. We have a chronic issue with this anxiety. And I believe it is because we have forgotten the sovereignty of our God. We've lost a theology of the sovereignty of our king. The birth of Jesus is a powerful 
reminder that our God is sovereign and he's all-powerful and nobody can stop him. Consider this. The Magi were astrologers. In other words, they knew the stars perfectly. They studied them. They were experts. So when any new star appeared, they knew that it was something completely unique. Some people say that the star that appeared was Jupiter and Saturn aligning, but they would have known that that was coming. This was something very unique. See, the star was millions of kilometers away, and it was the brightest object in the sky for a very long period of time. This happens from time to time. This happens during a supernova. This is a star death where a star dies, and it emits an enormous amount of energy over a fairly long period of time. It shines brighter than anything else in the sky. One was observed in 1604, and this supernova was 13,000 light years away. Essentially, a light year is the period of time that it takes light to reach the Earth in a year. That's a long ways. That's 10 trillion kilometers. So it took that light 13,000 years to reach the Earth. In any event, the event of the Magi following this star was set in motion thousands of years before it ever happened. Can you imagine that? The star actually died thousands of years before they ever witnessed it. God had set that in motion, and nothing was going to stop the hand of God from making that happen. This was preordained. Nothing can stop the hand of God. Nothing is outside of his power. When he sets something in motion, it is a done deal. Sometimes we look at different paintings of the nativity story and we see a comet. And these are all from the Renaissance. And this was during a period of time where Halley's Comet was visiting Earth. And so they, they painted pictures of this comet behind the nativity scene. But this could not possibly have been a comet. Comets never stop. Further, astrologers would know and they all had this metaphor of comets being that of death and destruction, not a sign. They never would have followed a comet. This was an unbelievable sign in the heavens that God had set in motion thousands of years prior. And we see this all throughout creation today. For example, the U.S. government has a satellite, and this satellite is able to track paths in deserts and on soil. When you take a step on ground, it it compresses the earth, and it lets off a different heat signature. And the U.S. government found this unbelievable path in the Middle East, about 1,500 people wide, and here is a picture of that. It goes through the desert, and it goes right up to the Red Sea, and then it disappears, and it comes out the other side. An unbelievable finding, but it gets crazier and crazier. They also found this right at the beginning of that path. This is the altar that the Israelites set up. But what's even more amazing is this. As they mapped the bottom of the Red Sea, they discovered a land bridge at the exact entrance that that path and the altar were found. And on both sides of that land bridge are extremely deep chasms. See, from the beginning of creation, God had planned that his people would walk through the Red Sea and nothing will stop the hand of God. Isn't that amazing? Our God is sovereign, and what he sets in motion, nobody can stop. And your life is already mapped out. Your birth, your life, your marriage, your career, your children, it's all there. 
and your death. It's all there. Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Your life is entirely in his hands, and here's the good news, is that he loves you. He is for you. He has plans for you that are good. And so when we simply stop resisting our God, it leads to such peace, doesn't it? Nothing in your life is an accident. Before the creation of the world, you were chosen and you were adored. You see, his eyes saw your unformed body. I want you to consider this. We assume that so much in the world is accident, but you were thought of before your parents were alive. And I want you to consider this crazy fact that at one stage you were one of 25 million sperm (laughs) racing to that egg, and it seems like what a random chance this all is going to be. Who's going to win? Except for the fact that he saw your unformed body And it was preordained that you were going to win. And look where you are now. You're sitting here. Nice work. You see, from the tiniest microcosm to the infinite universe, God is sovereign over all of it. Every little tiny detail, God is sovereign. Have you forgotten the sovereignty of your father? Is this part of your theology that has just sort of been left out? I think it has been for me. You see, Matthew quotes the prophet Micah, and he says, For out of Bethlehem will come a ruler who will shepherd his people. Man, he will protect and guide them. I think of Psalm 23. He will lead them beside still waters and green pastures and restore our soul. This is the shepherd. We need to rest and remember who our shepherd is as Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, is holding his son, this little John the Baptist, before he got all hairy and started dressing funny. He sang this song over him. He said, And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising of the sun will come from heaven and shine in those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Now listen to this to guide our feet into the path of peace. Jesus is the pathway to peace. It's not yoga. It's not materialism. It's not presence. It's not the security of the West. It's not a retirement plan. It's not marriage. It's not children. Jesus is the pathway to peace. He's the pathway to peace. He's the prince of peace because he is sovereign over everything. That's what allows him to become this pathway. You see, the birth of Jesus, I'm told in this passage, is profound on many levels. The fact that he set it in motion thousands of years before it ever happened, and it took place exactly as he planned. But it is even crazier the fact that they were born in Bethlehem. This is extremely unlikely, and I want you to consider this for a moment. Micah 5 2 was written 600 years before the birth of Christ. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will call from, come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He had to come from Bethlehem, but he was in Nazareth. 
And this sounds like not a big deal, except for the fact that this is in the Roman Empire. And Caesar is ruling, and Caesar is not a good man. He is not a godly man. He is somebody that if he was ruling today, we would call him an evil dictator. And so this is a huge issue. In Luke 2, Caesar gives a royal decree, a census, and he sends everyone to their hometowns. This ungodly, evil man unknowingly does the will of God. You see, the whole world shifts upon God's will. God moved the emperor's heart to do this census, and he can move anybody's heart at any time because he is sovereign. This renders any evil ruler or state or dictator or terror organization completely powerless to stop our God. This knowledge should remove all fear from his children, should it not? We fear ISIS. We fear Vladimir Putin, North Korea. We view all of this as being something that's out of control, and we forget that it is completely not out of control. Nothing can stop our God. He is sovereign. I consider Abraham when he's going up the mountain to sacrifice his son Isaac. It seems like it's out of control, but what's walking up the mountain on the other side is a ram because God placed his sovereign will upon the ram and moved it up that mountain. This is our God. Nothing can stop him. And here's the beautiful thing is that when we recognize that everyone is powerless compared to our God, this creates tremendous peace within us, which leads to love. It is fear that leads to hate, because fear is such a strong emotion, and we hate anything or anyone that creates fear within us. So Jesus on the cross knew the sovereignty of God, had a tremendous peace, even though men were spitting on him, even though they were insulting him, even though they were torturing him and ramming thorns into his head. He had peace, which created love, and he said, forgive them, Father. I think about Stephen being martyred, his face is being broken into pieces with large rocks, and he's being killed, but he's shining like an angel, and he says, forgive them, Father. These men who he should have hated, he loved. I think about Paul and Silas in prison, laying there on the floor. They'd just been scourged 39 times, and what do they do? They worship God. They're in a state of thanksgiving because they have peace, which leads to love. You see, they never acted a hate because they knew the sovereignty of God. Their internal peace manifested itself as external peace and love. This peace or lack of anxiety starts in our hearts. And I'll tell you what, this is what can actually create world peace. When we stop living in fear which creates hate, and I think this is what's wrong in the West, we see little of this. Donald Trump is dominating in the polls in the U.S. And what is so unbelievable is that by far his number one supporters are white evangelical Christians who support his platform of hate and racism. The president of Liberty University, the biggest university in the U.S., 100,000 students got up and said that they should carry concealed weapons to shoot Muslims if need be. And the crowd went wild. I'm sure that he would take back some of those words and perhaps he was misunderstood, but the students were eating it up because there's so much fear 
because we forget who our God is. We've forgotten our sovereignty of our God and our hearts look very little like Jesus or Stephen or Paul and Silas. Right now in Syria, millions of people are fleeing that country because of civil war and it seems like it's just a problem that's internal. We forget the fact that it started with global warming um, eradicating their crops and all of these people received no aid from the West. All of our aid that we send to World Vision, Compassion, groups like that, they all go to Christian countries because very few of us will want to give to Muslims. And so as a result of that, they all had to flee to the cities for food and it created such an overpopulation that the government made horrible choices out of desperation, civil war broke out, and we get what we now have. It's a terrible mess. And we don't know how to respond here in the West very well. There's so much confusion over who they are, what they look like, what their purpose of coming over here is. And we forget that this is a nation that is so desperate. And I found this little piece of life in Syria. um, And I'd really like us to watch it this morning and to just get a really clear picture of who these refugees are and sort of what they're so desperate to flee that they would send dozens of themselves on boats to try to get here, risk the lives of their their children. And we've seen them wash up on our shores, and we just sort of wonder, like, what in the world is going on over there? I want you to watch this. It's pretty powerful. الله أكبر 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 في حد هون يا شباب في حد هون في حد هون في حد هون في حد هون حسبي الله نعم الوكيل حسبي الله نعم الوكيل وين حسبي الله نعم حسبي الله نعم الوكيل حسبي الله نعم الوكيل حسبي الله نعم الوكيل استهداف مسجد في بلدة حيان أدى لدمار المسجد بالكامل حسبنا الله ونعم الوكيل حسبنا الله ونعم الوكيل حربي استهدف المدنية لا في مقرات إرهابية ولا في بيوت مدنية هاي بيوت مدنية وهي هاي الأضرار المادية الله أكبر 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 بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الله أكبر الإصابات الله أكبر إسحاب يا شباب إسحاب يا شباب الله أكبر الله أكبر 
الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر حسبي الله نعم الوكيل لا يا حج اطلع حسبي الله حسبي الله حسبي الله So that's what it looks like. And right now in the U.S., 24 governors are trying to block families from coming to the U.S. simply because they're Muslim. When we're talking about refugees, we're talking about families just like ours who happen to be born in Syria. And they are desperate, and they desperately need us. Matthew 5, in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says, You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I think that's what we've heard said over and over and over. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Since 9-11, over one million Muslims have been killed in airstrikes from the West. When we went to Northern Africa, we met a pastor there, and he has since become a Christian. He was once a Muslim, and the first Christian that he saw, he said he had to inspect them and see if they had a tail and horns because he thought we were devils. He actually thought that Christians were devils because of what they have seen over there. We're told to not only love our enemies and people that are different than us, but to actually feed them and to provide for them. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Paul is not saying, do this so that you'll spite them. Do this because it'll make them feel ashamed or torture them, heap burning coals. Culturally, they would have understood this you see, they were a people that smolted a lot of iron ore, and by putting burning coals on them, it purified it. It brought out their true nature of the iron ore. They did this all the time. And in Isaiah, an angel took a burning coal and cleansed his lips. It's a cleansing. It's a revealing. Revealing truth and their true identity as children of God. These are children of God. And by loving them, we're burning away all of the untruth and the deception. That's what Paul is saying. When we were in Africa, this pastor was such a powerful influence in my life. I've told you his story many times before. But essentially, they, they, um, when he became a Christian, the Muslims killed his family and burned his house. But during a terrible drought, they were dying, and he had food, and he fed the entire village. He probably shouldn't have by, by the standards of the world, but he did because we're supposed to repay good with evil. I mean, the other way around, evil with good. And as we were in his church, there were all these faces looking in the windows and they were staring at us and Melissa got a little bit frightened and she said, why are they all staring at us? And, and Reverend Gricha said, it's because they're trying to read our lips. They want to know Jesus so bad. They want to know who this guy is so bad. 
It is when we show extravagant love that these burning coals can do their work of purification in the world. Let me ask you this, this holiday, have you forgotten the sovereignty of God and has it led to anxiety in your life? Have you forgotten that it is Jesus that holds the keys to death? Have you forgotten that it is Jesus that is sovereign over every world leader and can place his will upon anyone at any time and that renders them powerless? The birth of Jesus, the ancient star that guided them, reveals that his plan that was set in motion thousands of years prior can never be thwarted and the same can be said for your life. In all of creation, we see his sovereignty and his plan and his perfection. This Prince of Peace who uttered, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, speaks of a pathway to peace that is so profound that it absolutely passes all understanding. This holiday, I invite you into it. You see, when we allow ourselves to step into this peace, it creates a love in us, and we naturally love our enemies. When we live in fear, it creates a hate in us for our enemies and perhaps others. Let me invite you into the perfect peace of Jesus this holiday. Let me invite you into the hands of a sovereign, powerful God. His eyes saw your unformed body, and every day of your life was written in his book, and it's a good book, full of peace and joy and life for you, before even one of them has taken place or has taken place. Why don't we pray? Jesus, I just pray for rest upon us. Jesus, I pray that we would enter into sweet rest this holiday. God, that we would have a peace within us, God, that manifests itself in love. That we would rest in the leadership of our sovereign Prince of Peace. God, that we would love people, that we would love people that are hard to love, that we would love our enemies, God. We have nothing to fear. We are free to love unconditionally. And we are free to love extravagantly. And we are free to love generously. God, I pray. God, I pray for the church in the West, Jesus. I pray that you would bring us freedom. God, I pray that people would look at us and they would see the very DNA of our Savior, the one that we model our lives after, that we would be people that love extravagantly. God, I pray for those in this room who are struggling with anxiety. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would break that chain, that we would walk in freedom. Thank you for your leadership. We trust you 100%, Jesus. In your holy name we pray these things. Amen.